Today's reading is taken from Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put, putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. One of our core values here at Trinity Church is, is equipping the saints. And, and that is one of our core values because, because we can't reach the world for Jesus on our own. We have to be raising up people who can do that uh, better than just ourselves, of course. Um, the harvest is plentiful, as Jesus says, the workers are few. And, and, and that's why we, we offer apprenticeships here at Trinity Morningside, so it's a two-year opportunity to taste ministry and to have our gifts tested to see what, we're, see what, what God has put in us, so to speak, for the kingdom. And uh, so it's Really exciting, great pleasure to introduce Spelele Alani, who's going to be preaching for us this morning and for the first time, and it's great to have him with us, and uh, I'm going to hand over to him as, um, as he preaches. Morning everyone, uh, let me add my welcome to Nigel's. My name is Spelele Alani. I'm on staff team here at Trinity. I'm glad that you could join us. Um, welcome to you from wherever you might be watching us uh, from. We continue with our series in the book of Mark. Um, as we have seen the passage read, we are on Mark chapter 12, starting from verse 35 to 44. We'll dive into God's word, but before we do that, let me um, ask for God's help. God's help. Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you, Lord. We are grateful for the privilege you have given us to, to hear your, your word, even under these circumstances. We pray that uh, you may encourage us through your word, help us to know you and to live for you. We pray and ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The most common questions that we ask when we meet someone new has to do with who they are and what they do. These are important because for many, depending on the context, they will inform the way that you treat that person. Now we may ask, why is that? 
Well, that is because, though we may not be conscious of this, but there is a correlation between knowing who someone is and the way that we treat them. Whether we treat them in a good way or in a bad way, whether we treat them with respect and honor, whether we treat them just as anyone, or even worse, whether we treat them with disrespect. We may get away with this uh, as we do it to each other, but when it comes to Jesus, this has far more reaching consequences. And so it is important for us to get who Jesus really is so that we can respond and treat him better. And in our passage today, Mark shows us the importance of getting Jesus right as the Messiah. Because recognizing the greatness of the Messiah leads to humility, which lacks in false religion. While true religion recognizes God and give all to him. So today we will see three things. We will see the warning against the small view, having the small view of Jesus. We will see a lack of humility in those who got Jesus wrong. And lastly, we will um, see getting God right and in humility, giving all to him. So let's see first a warning against having a small view of Jesus. A warning against having a small view of Jesus. We continue in the section of Mark where Jesus is in Jerusalem. In this section, Jesus demonstrates how out of step is the religion of the day was with the kingdom of God. This is after Jesus has publicly showed that he is the Messiah, the long-waited-for Savior King who will come to save his people and defeat their enemies. But what is surprising with the coming of Jesus to Jerusalem, the place where the religious elites of the Jews, those who are considered to be devoted to God's law state, is that Jesus brings judgment to them. As we saw in chapter 11, Jesus judges the fruitless religion in the life of those who are in the temple by cursing the fig tree which looked promising from a distance but fruitless when you come near it. We also, see Jesus, we also saw Jesus' judgment to the fruitless religion as he entered the temple and in righteous anger, beginning to drive out and overturn the table of those who were trading in it. Well, as expected, that did not go well with the religious leaders uh, in Jerusalem at this time. And their growing opposition of Jesus led them to blood murder against Jesus. So beginning in chapter 11, verse 27, we have a series of conflicting stories between Jesus and the religious leaders known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, or the teachers of the law, which Jesus will be speaking or addressing uh, about in our passage today. All these leaders were out to get Jesus, and they sought to do that by asking him tricky questions with the hope that he will, they will catch him in his words and kill him. They were setting up trap for Jesus so that, they can, so that he can incriminate himself. But all this did not work. As Mark tells us in the verse just above our passage, Jesus answered all their questions with divine wisdom. And in verse 34, we hear that, and from then on, 
no one dared to ask him any more questions. There we have it, friends. We have reached the end of an intense interrogation. And Mark, as if he was keeping the score, he let us know that uh, Jesus has outsmarted everyone uh, in that group of religious leaders. And as it were, they are now down and out and have nothing on Jesus anymore. But that is not uh, the end of the show. It is now Jesus' turn to ask a question. And the question that Jesus asks is a very important one. It is the question that no one wants to get wrong. This question Jesus asked in a form of a teaching to a large crowd and his disciples, as we see in verse 37. And this is the question that Jesus is asking us even this morning. But we will do well to acknowledge that this is not an obvious question. Verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple court, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that Christ is the son of David? As Mark takes us uh, through this scene, there are few things that are worth noting here. The first one is that, uh, as it was his practice, Jesus was teaching here. Verse 35, while Jesus was teaching in the temple court, and verse 38, as he taught, Jesus said, well, as we see here, teaching was an important part of Jesus' ministry. Whenever Jesus saw large crowds, his concern was to teach them about the kingdom of God. And in this case, he teaches and warns the, and warns the crowd about the teachers of the law, as we will see in the moment. The second thing to note is that Jesus was teaching in the temple courts. Within the temple, there were different areas, some known as the court, and in our passage, Jesus is in the court of Gentiles because he was a visitor in the temple, and so he made this court his basis of operation as he was teaching. The third thing to note is who Jesus is warning about. Jesus is warning about the group called the stripes or the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law were the intellectual and religious elite of Judaism very influential and had great knowledge of the law and the old testament scriptures unfortunately they couldn't realize or recognize jesus for who he really was and they were part of those who wanted to kill jesus so though they possessed great knowledge of the old testament and were respected by many but according to jesus their knowledge of him and of the scriptures was shallow and so jesus asked in verse 35 how is it that the teachers of the law say that christ is the son of david david himself speaking by the holy spirit declared that the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i put your enemies under your feet now from the time of david to the to the coming of jesus the jews were looking forward to the coming messiah this Messiah was to be the descendant of David, who will come and set up the kingdom of God and rule over Israel forever. We first hear of this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, which reads, When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. And so as Jesus came demonstrating the characteristics of the Messiah, 
he was referred to as the son of David. I remember in chapter 10, um, as the blind man called Bartimaeus pleaded with Jesus to have mercy on him to uh, restore his sight, Bartimaeus there saw what those with physical eyes could not see, that Jesus is the Messiah, and so he called him the son of David, a title reserved for the Messiah, as we have seen. If that was the case, then what is Jesus' problem when the teachers of the law say the same? When they say that he is the son of David, what is it that the teachers of the law might have got wrong? Well, here we are not given an answer per se, but what is apparent from the verse that Jesus quotes is that the teachers of the law had a low view of the Messiah. They were teaching that the Messiah, as the son of David, would be a subject of David. Christ would be great, but not as great as their forefather, David. This shows their small view of God's promised king, and also their ignorance of the scriptures that they claim to know so much. So that is why, to counter their ignorant and dangerous teaching, Jesus pulls an Old Testament scripture, where David himself acknowledges that the Messiah would be greater than him. Verse 36. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Here Jesus quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. This was a psalm written by David as a prophecy about the Messiah, which, through the Holy Spirit, David acknowledges that the Messiah will be his Lord and the one under which everything will be subjected. And by quoting the psalm, Jesus' point, Jesus's point is that the Messiah is to be understood as David's Lord rather than just his son. Because even though the Messiah is indeed the descendant of David, he will surpass David's lineage in superiority and authority. We see this uh, in Indian cricket when the games are played, uh, when some games are played for, for charity. And in those games, uh, you have legends, those who have played cricket before, with current players playing in the same team. And it happened in one of those matches that um, a father and a son played for the same team, with the son as the captain. And in, the, in this case, though the son is the child of that father and had to respect him, in that regard but in the field the son was superior to the father in terms of authority respect and honor similarly that what that was the case jesus is making here that though the messiah is a descendant of david but he is superior and authoritative in terms of the scope of who he is and what he came to do and so jesus is saying that the messiah is more than just a human descendant of david it is because David himself calls him Lord, as we see in verse 37. But as we look closely to these verses, Jesus does not tell us how the Messiah becomes David's Lord. Well, Peter, who was there when Jesus taught this, helped us to understand how that happened as he quotes the very same psalm when he teaches in Acts and when we speak about Jesus in Acts chapter 2, verse 29 to 36, which reads, 
Brothers, I can tell confidently that the Patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was the prophet and knew that God has promised him on earth that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and the Messiah or Christ. So Peter here is saying that Psalm 110 verse 1 was a prophecy of the time when David's son would become David's Lord through resurrection and ascension. Now going back to Mark, as Jesus is in his final week uh, of his life, the question that Jesus poses prepares the disciple for what was to come as he would suffer, die, rise again after three days later uh, as both the Lord and Christ. I hope by now you see the seriousness of the question that Jesus was asking. How is it that the teachers of the law view the Messiah as inferior to David? It is worth us reflecting on our own views of the Messiah, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. As the teachers of the law had a small view of him, so it is worth asking ourselves, do we also see Jesus just from a human point of view, as many religions does to this day? Is he just a wise teacher who gives us good life advices? Do we only see Jesus just as a good prophet? And is he just a miracle worker who is all about healing our sicknesses and giving us our own desires? Most importantly, do you recognize Jesus as the Lord, the one who is superior to all and have everything subjected under him? Personally, do you recognize him as your Lord and Master under which you should subject your life or are you still the Lord of your life? And most importantly, do we recognize Jesus' greatness as the Messiah? Friends, recognizing Jesus' greatness as the Messiah and Lord is getting Jesus right. And that has always been the point that Mark uh, wanted to make, even from the beginning of this book. As he wrote, he wanted us to get Jesus right as the Messiah and the Lord. But even in this next bit, Mark shows us that um, recognizing the greatness of the Messiah leads to humility, which though the teachers of the Lord do not display, but the poor widow will do display. And so as the teachers of the law got Jesus wrong in their teaching, they also got him wrong in their conduct. And so secondly, we will see a lack of humility in those who get Jesus wrong. A lack of humility in those who get Jesus wrong. Having exposed the ignorance and the dangerous teaching of the teachers of the law, Jesus now exposes 
they are equally dangerous character verse 38 as he taught jesus said watch out for the teachers of the law they like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in marketplaces and have the most important seat in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets as jesus continues with his teaching he warns the crowd about the teachers of the law the teachers of the law as i've said before were the intellectual and the religious elite of judaism they were very influential and most probably everyone aspired to be like them for who who wouldn't want to catch everyone's attention as they walk around who wouldn't want to be respected and highly regarded in the temple who wouldn't want to always have a secure prominent vip seat at the events these are the things most people aspire to if you have achieved such a status you are considered to have made it in life and according to this world these are the things to die for but that is not the case according to jesus when many see glamour jesus sees danger and so he warns them saying watch out be careful and look out for the teachers of the law the word watch out literally means to see something physical with spiritual results or perception so as to take a needed action which in this case is to be alert we may ask ourselves why is jesus warning to the crowd about the teachers of the law so severe if these are the things that everyone aspire to well to understand what jesus is really getting to here mark takes us to their motives as they do these things which he does with the use of those two words in verse 38 they like and those two words they like uh, is followed by a lot of things that they like to do and those two words in the original are the word desire and with it jesus shows what these teachers took pleasure in and had as as their heart ambition and so what is it that these teachers of the lord desired firstly they um mark tells us that they they, 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 they desire to walk around in flowing robes, uh, in flow, flowing robes. These were not an everyday garments, but they were wet rather for festivals. And these robes distinguished these as men of wealth and eminence. So they like wearing these robes so that they would be seen as men of wealth and eminence. That was what is uh, one of their desires. Secondly, they also had a desire for social significance as they looked to be greeted with respect in marketplaces. They expected people to stand still as they come across them and they desired, always liked to have a very important seat in the temple and even in the social events. All their heart's desires show their lack of humility. Because it is one thing to be honored in such a way for what you do, but it is another thing if you have set your heart to pursue this thing and will do everything to get them. Notice also that their, desire, their desires were not only for external recognition, but also there is a dark side to it. Verse 40, they devoured widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. 
Jesus goes on to expose the stripes for their treatment of widows and their attitude in prayer to show their immorality and their hypocrisy. Widows were one of the vulnerable people in society and throughout the Old Testament, God has always looked out and cared for them. And you would expect the stripes who were well versed in the Old Testament to be the one who looked out and cared for the widows, but they were the one abusing them. And in this particular context, they were exploiting them in terms of their hospitality and trust. Because unlike the way they portrayed themselves, the stripes were not as a whole wealthy. They were largely dependent on gift for livelihood, and in this case, they exploited widows' generosity. But their hypocrisy even leaks into their religion. For Jesus said, for a show they make lengthy prayers. It is worth noting, though, that it is not just about the length or the duration of their prayers, but it is about their motive and desire as they pray. Which Jesus spoke as, as he said, for a show. So to them, it was not about praying to God, but about the desire to be seen as religious. This shows that their audience, as they pray, is not God, but people around them. And friends, this is the epitome of hypocrisy. It is living for people under the disguise of living for God. It is wearing of a mask, not the COVID one though, but a, an invisible mask, as though you have a good relationship with God, but in the heart of your heart, you are living for people's applause. And this is something that we all do to a certain extent. But we should not be mistaken. This kind of two-faced living, God will not tolerate. For Jesus says at the end of verse 40, these men will be punished most severely. And they will receive such a punishment because they were living for people and not for God. And that, in essence, is idolatry. They will also be punished most severely because though they knew the scriptures, they had got God wrong and Jesus wrong, and they have failed to show humility needed in the kingdom of God. And as we hear about their punishment, it is worth remembering where all this started, that it, it started in their unhealthy desires. So it can be a good thing for me and you to reflect on our own desires and motives. Should ask ourselves, what lengths are we willing to go for people's applause? What is our motive for dressing the way that we dress? Do we have an unhealthy desire for social significance, honor, and respect such that we can do anything to get it? And in our time, in the presence of social media, this can be expressed in our desire to seek likes and people's approval to the extent that we can lose our own dignity. And again, it is worth reflecting as we live our Christian life. Do we recognize God as our primary audience or we are living for others to see us? These are important questions to ask. And as D.A. Cousin says, we are lost when human opinion means more to us than God. This is due to the fact that as we live for other people's opinion and applause, we are at the same time ignoring God and his opinion 
we are pushing him to the side because he's not as important to us as people are. And there is a book that deals with this and it captures this very well that when people are big, God is small. And so we have seen scribes' lack of understanding of the greatness of Jesus and thus their lack of humility in their lives. And in contrast, Mark now shows us that recognizing the greatness of the Messiah leads to humility, which the poor widow displays. The third and the final thing to see is getting God right and in humility giving all to him. Getting, all, getting God right and in humility giving all to him. We now move to a final scene, a scene which marks the last teaching from Jesus in the temple. Here, Mark tells us that Jesus is sitting, um, observing those who are putting their offering in the temple treasure. As Jesus is observing the crowd offering, he identifies two kinds of people. Verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering were put and watched the crowd putting their money into temple treasure. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Here Jesus sees many rich people coming to offer. And I can imagine these people, inspired by the teachers of the law, coming with fleshly clothes, showing off their large amounts of money as they throw it into a collection basket. And in contrast, a poor widow, who to men is not invisible at all, coming to offer, being embarrassed by the sound made as she threw into a collection basket, two very small coins, the smallest coins in circulation during that time, both in value and in size. While all that is happening, then Jesus calls his disciples to teach them an important lesson about giving. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into treasure than all others. Having observed the offering made by the rich, which may have been a well representation of the state of what was going on in the temple and with the lives of the scribes, whose service was for show and not true devotion to God. Jesus finally finds someone who pleased him in the temple. And surprisingly, that person is a poor widow who offered not only less than everyone, but also the least valuable offering in the eyes of people. But more surprisingly, is Jesus' evaluation of her offering. Summoning his disciples, Jesus says, truly I tell you, which means take what I'm about to tell you very seriously. It is the poor widow who has put what is most valuable into the treasury. Her offering, though it appears small, but before God, it far exceeds the large offering of all the rich people. And that is because for Jesus, the value of the gift is not the amount given, but the cost of that gift to the giver. Verse 44, they, referring to the rich, all gave out of their wealth, but she, the poor widow, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. It is worth noting that Jesus is, is saying all this teaching to his disciples. And so for all of us who follow Jesus, this should be our model of giving. 
That is why uh, even at church, we are encouraged when giving to be cheerfully, generous, and sacrificial. Uh, but this goes not only for giving money, but also as we give our time and gift in service to God and his people. In this passage, Jesus closes with the most important words as he gives the reason why the widow's offering was so much valuable. Jesus says she put in everything, all she had to live on. This widow, unlike the scribes, recognized God as deserving of all she had. And this is the picture of true humility. Entrusting yourself to God with all you have, doing it not as a show to others, but as true worship to God. And this is giving God all that you have. We may ask, what does it mean to give everything you have to live on? Isn't that unwise? Well, giving everything you are living on is more about your attitude than your possession. It is the attitude of humility and deep trust in God alone for your provision and care. And it is placing your life in God's hand as the widow did. And this, as we saw last week, is giving to God what is God's. It has been well said that the measure of true sacrifice is not what we give, but what we keep. And I know how difficult it is for us to give all that we have to live on. But friends, God is not asking of us what he has not done for us. He himself gave us his precious son, Jesus, as a gift. Jesus, who came into the world as the promised Savior King, the one greater than David and all other kings, the one to end all kings, who gave his life for us on the cross, rose again as the Lord and the Christ, the Messiah, and now is at the right hand of God in heaven. He will come back again to judge those who got Jesus wrong, those who had no humility, and those who in hypocrisy lived for people and not for God. But for now, he still offers the gift of salvation, gift of faith to, to all those who in humility repent and put their trust in him, who recognize God for who he really is and give all to him. Friends, may we be the ones who will get God right and in humility give all to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for um, helping us to understand who Jesus is and um, how important is it for us to get him right. Pray that you may help us to, to do this and to show humility that give all to you. We pray and ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will finish our time together um, with singing a song. Please uh, do join in as we sing. <laughs>